Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. Amen, amen. How's everybody doing? All right. Man, that is awesome. My name is Dustin. Um, It is so good to be with Anchor Church this evening. I am all the way from Harlem, uh, which is only like 30 minutes, but it's really cool to say that I'm all the way from Harlem. Man, and I love you guys. Uh, We love you. Uh, We we have the opportunity to pray for you. Um, And we're a church plant too, so we're a couple years ahead of you guys. We celebrate four years in January. And man, God has done some amazing things. And I say this every single Sunday at Impact, so I'm just going to say it here at Anchor, is that Jesus is the reason that we do everything that we do. He's the reason that we are here this evening. It is all about him. It always has been, and it always will be. It is all about Jesus. So guess what I'm going to preach about tonight? Jesus. That's what we're going to... Hey, I do. I want to share something with you, though. Can I do that? Do you hate when pastors ask and they do something? Because what are you going to say? No? Like, we have the mic, so we can pretty much do what we want. But you see this shirt? It's unbuttoned. They call this a shacket, I think, sometimes now. Um, that's not what this is. This is legit a shirt. As you get bigger, what you can do is just leave it unbuttoned and wear a nice undershirt underneath it. And it looks like you planned to do that. So that's where I am right now. Um, I've gained a little bit of weight. And now I'm here trying to look as cool as possible with my shacket on. What we're going to do, man, is we're going to continue on in your series through the book of Acts. And I heard that this is the final act, right, for this, this portion of the book of Acts. And Pastor Brandon gave me about 100 verses to go through. So at Impact, we go verse by verse. So if, if we're here a little longer, I just want to be mad at him. He gave me all these verses. Now we're going to summarize a lot of this. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to trust my summary. But even more than that, I'm going to ask you to go back and read it so that you can understand it yourself. So Acts chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Now, it's Christmas season. Who loves Christmas in this room? All right, let me tell you who doesn't. Me. Like, I'm not a big fan of Christmas, but I shared with my group this this morning, I am extra jolly this year. And I don't know the reason. I have no idea, but yesterday, unprompted, I went and bought some lights for my house. And I put them up which amazed my wife. She was like, I can't believe you bought them and put them up. Now, she had to encourage me to finish because after about halfway, I was like, I am done. This is why I don't like Christmas. But I finished them, and they're colorful lights. I don't don't like the white stuff, so it's just colors everywhere. And then her style is very just white. It's just those frosty tips and all that stuff. So everything else is decorated that way except the house. So it doesn't look good at all because it's all mixed together. Now, I told you that to tell you this. We should be even more jolly about Jesus, right? Christmas is a season. Jesus is all the time. Christmas is just a a month-long thing that we do. For some reason, I do it for one day, and I'm done with it. But a lot of us do it for a whole month. Jesus is January to December. And I want you to be excited about Jesus. When I leave this evening, 
I want you to be so pumped up about Jesus that you can't contain it. That is, that's my prayer. It's been my prayer all week long is that, first of all, if you don't know him, today's the day for you. Secondly, if you do know him, you, you have some kind of renewal this evening. That you see, as we talk about Stephen, as we talk about this, this deacon, as we talk about this servant who gave his life, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the end of the story, Stephen gets killed for his faith. And what we're going to see is we're going to see some, some things in his life that I believe led him to that point. It led him to, to not go away from the gospel. It, it led him to stand firm in his faith. I got a little cut on my finger the other day. We were doing something. I don't even remember who I was with, but it hurt pretty bad. It was un, under the fingernail. And I, I said, man, I would be horrible if I was tortured. I would give every secret that I had inside of me if they started torturing me. Like I, I would just give it all up. I'd tell them my, my wife's name, birthday, social security, whatever. Take it all. Just stop torturing me. I would be horrible about that. But at the same time, I would like to think that I would stand firm in my faith. So what does that look like? What does it look like to stand firm? In chapter 6 of Acts, we're going to start in verse 8. It says this, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. I just want to stop just for a second. Because we, we were just introduced to, to Stephen just before this. There, there were some issues going on. There were some women who didn't feel like they were being taken care of. So the elders of the church, they, they brought these men together and they, they designated them to go and serve food. So we have Stephen who, who is a servant. He's not an apostle. He's not a pastor. He's not on staff at a church. He is just a servant. And it says that he was full of grace and power. And I want you to know that in God's economy, the jobs, there's no small job in God's economy. That if you engage in the mission, then you have an important role to play. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, man, I don't like kids. I know she says something about serving with kids. That ain't me. Me neither. I can't do it. You, you don't have to serve in kids to, to have a role in the kingdom. But what you do have to do is once you become a Christ follower, then you have to engage in the mission. You have to engage. There's, there's that next step that you have to take, and everybody's next step looks different. And Stephen here, who, who is serving, he's faithful with little, and he begins to get more responsibility. And it says that he is full of grace and power, and he was doing great wonders and signs. Verse 9, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. They're, they're about to argue. They're about to, to fight a little bit. Verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. Verse 14. 
For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. This is what Stephen is being accused of, speaking the gospel. What he's, what he's doing is he, he's speaking against the law in the temple. What he's saying is, hey, I know that all your rituals and your traditions, you, you like all that, but it, it's more about a relationship with Jesus. It's not, it's not just about all these laws, because guess what? We, we can't do it. We can't keep them. And Stephen is, is preaching against that system. And he's preaching against the, the, the temple system. Now, he's not preaching against a church. No, he's preaching against a system of religion. He's saying that you can offer the right animal at the right time, on the right day, but that is not what saves you. Only Jesus can save you. He is the perfect sacrifice. He has come and fulfilled the law, and now we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And that is what Stephen is preaching. He's preaching the gospel. And I want you to know something. If you're a Christ follower and you start to preach the gospel, Religious people do not like that. The world does not like that. Because the gospel is life-changing. I don't know if you, if you knew this, but the gospel isn't about bad people becoming good. It's about dead people being brought to life. And when you start talking about this, this savior of the world, this, this heavenly father who loved you so much that he sent Jesus on a rescue mission for you. When you start talking like that, people get really angry and they were really angry at Stephen because he was, he was preaching against all of their systems and traditions. I don't know if you've ever been there. If you've ever been in an argument with someone and they do something a certain way, they're really stubborn. Like that's me, I'm a pretty stubborn dude. And I, and I do things a certain way. And when people come to me and they're like, hey, so I don't think this is the best way. I think this will work better. Man, I, I kind of listen and I kind of don't because my way is my way. I'm just being honest. I'm just being transparent. Y'all can pray for me about that. That is the stubbornness of mine. And Stephen's like, man, this, this, this ain't it. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. And this is verse 15, and man, this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It says, and gazing at him, this is, this is the crowd, they're all, they're circling around him. They've already, they've already got him. They, they are mad, like they are super mad. It says, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, what that doesn't mean is that his face was like the chubby cheek, the cute little angel. That's not what that means at all. It also doesn't mean that he, he was very attractive in this moment. That's not what that means at all. There's two other places in Scripture that I know of where this happened to someone else. And if you remember Moses, Moses, cool dude, right? He did kill somebody, but he's still a cool dude. Moses, great, led God's people, right? The Egyptians were following all of the plagues. You know the story of Moses. There's been 100 movies about it, so I'm not going to get too deep into that. But Moses is up on Mount Sinai in the presence of God. And God writes on two tablets the Ten Commandments. But while he's up there, God's like, hold on. 
wait just a minute, your people, they are down, not on the mountain, they are down and they are worshiping idols. And Moses is like, what in the world? This is a loose translation. And God, God's basically saying, hey, you can do what you want. If you want to worship them, that's fine, but I'm not going with you. Like, I'm not going to keep, keep going with you if you're going to worship idols. So Moses goes down from the mountain. He is ticked off. He slams the tablets down. He takes the, the golden calf that his brother Aaron made, and he, he melts it down, and then he sprinkles it in the water, and then he makes them drink it. So washing your kid's mouth out with soap, very biblical, if you ever need to do that. And then... He, man, he, this is, he asked his brother, y'all should read the Bible. He asked Aaron, he's like, hey, d- did you make this? And he's like, no, man, I put it in the fire and this golden calf came out. Like, that's his response. It's like the kids who have chocolate all over their face. And you're like, hey, why'd you eat the chocolate? I'm like, I didn't eat the chocolate. Somebody just came in and put it on my, that's, the Bible's awesome. You should read the Bible. Moses goes back up on the mountain. He's gonna go back and, and talk to God and say, hey, can we, can we rework this covenant? Like, I don't, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to leave us, is basically what he's saying. And in Exodus 33, and I didn't give these verses, so I'm just going to read this to you. Moses talking to God said, and he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. This is what Moses is saying. Your presence is what makes us different. That being with you is what makes us different. Anchor Church, what makes makes you different, it isn't that you meet at 5 o'clock on Sunday night. It isn't isn't your your worship. It isn't the, the community that you have. And all that is good. But that doesn't make you different. What makes you different is the presence of God. And Moses is saying, hey, I'd rather be in this horrible situation in your presence than in the promised land without your presence. It's all about the presence of God. And then if you jump to verse 34, verse 29 and 30, it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, this is what, this is what happens, just some context. Moses, he tells God, he says, hey, show me your glory. And I just want to see your glory. And God's like, hey, you can't see my full glory. You just can't handle it. He says, but what I'll do is I'll kind of put you, put you in this little place in the rock, and then I'll cover you up, and then I'll walk by, turn on my afterburners, more loose translation, and then I'll, move, I'll remove my hand, and you can catch a glimpse of my glory. So that's what he does. He sets him up, puts him in this little rocky Craft, little cleft, craft, whatever, little thing. He covers him up and he walks by and then he uncovers him. And Moses gets a glimpse of the glory of God. And this is him coming back down the mountain. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, they rewrote the Ten Commandments. He broke them the first time. As he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. He was different. This is what I want you to know. When you have an encounter with Jesus, it will change your life. 
you will be different. The people that knew you before, they're not going to know the same you. It's different. When you have an experience with the almighty, holy God, it changes your life. And then the, the, other, the other time I know is Jesus, when he was transfigured, the mountain of transfiguration, he also shone like this when he was, he was in the presence of God and Moses, Elijah, and he took some disciples up the mountain with him. And Peter, who speaks first and loudest every time, he sees this. He sees Jesus shining, and he says, it is good that we are here. That's Peter's response. It is good that we are here. And maybe that's what you need to hear tonight. It's good that you're here in this place. It's good that you, 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 you braved the, the storm. You braved the, the coldness. You braved the rain, and you showed up. And it's good that you're here. Peter says it's good that we're here. And then God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, listen to him. So to me, it's pretty much like, hey, Peter, be quiet. Like, let Jesus do some talking. And man, the disciples were so afraid that they, they bowed their head. They didn't want to look because of the glory. And Jesus comes over. And he, he taps them and says, hey, look at me. They look, everybody else is gone. And Jesus invites them in. And I want you to know that this is what's happening with Stephen. That Stephen's face was like that of an angel because he had experienced the presence of God. And if we want to stand firm on the gospel, if we want to stand firm on the truth of God's word, Point number one is this, that God's manifest presence should always be primary. That his presence should always be primary. Now, let me, let me explain something really quickly because maybe you're thinking his presence is, is everywhere all the time, and that's true. That's, he's, he's omnipresent. So when I say manifest presence, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a specific experiential, like just moment with the presence of God. Man, and we get to experience those moments with him. But this is what I'm afraid of, especially in America, is that we care more about the provision and the protection of God than we do the presence of God. That we really want the provisions of God. We want all the, all the stuff. That we really want the protection of God. And the presence of God is just secondary in our life. But the truth is this. If we want to have that type of relationship, the one where Stephen is in front of all these people, knowing that he's going to get in a ton of trouble, knowing that it would more than likely lead to his death, the only way he could do that is because the presence of God was primary in his life? Is the presence of God primary in your life? Do you want to experience the presence of God? And be honest with yourself this evening. Because it's really easy to fall into a place where we really want what God has to offer, but we don't really want who he is. 
And let me tell you who it's really hard for. It's really hard for the people that do a lot of work for, for the church, a lot, of, a lot of people that serve all the time. And I, I don't want to tell you not to do that. That's very important. But, man, sometimes we forget the why. We just start doing the what over and over and over and over, and we're serving and we're preaching and we're serving and we're singing and we're doing this and we're doing this, and we can lose sight of the primary, and the primary should always be the presence of God. Because when we experience that manifest presence of God, it changes everything in our life. So where are you? Is that primary for you, or do you want all the stuff? And all, I'm not saying this stuff's bad. Like the provision and the protection and the principles of, of God, man, those, those are good things. They're just secondary things. The primary thing is the presence of God. And what Stephen's going to do in chapter 7, and I'm not going to read all of chapter 7 to you, is very, very long but what Stephen does is he, he begins to, to talk about Scripture. He begins to share stories of, of how all throughout history, God's grace was seen, but people would run away from God. That God's grace was given and people would turn away from God. And then he turns to the, to the council and he, and he says, you guys crucified Jesus. And this is the second time they've heard this, by the way, because Peter and John had already told them this. They, they let Peter and John go, but Stephen, man, he, they've had too much. And he's, he's preaching the gospel, and he's sharing scripture, and he's, he's speaking the truth of God's word. And this is, this is what happens in chapter 7, verses 54 through 56. Now, when they had heard these things, the, the things he was saying, the gospel, the, the history of people falling away from God, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of of God. So number one is God's manifest presence should be primary. Here is the second point, is that if we want to stand firm and not go away from the authority of Scripture, to not go away from our faith, we have to keep our eyes fixed on the Savior, not on our situation. Stephen, with the, the worst moment of his life, he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to be stoned to death, and he's looking at his Savior, not at his situation. How many times do we go through life looking at our circumstances, feeling sorry about our circumstances? Now, don't hear me say that, that what you're going through doesn't matter. Don't hear me say that, that you can't be emotional about stuff and that you can't have feelings. God created us that way. What I'm saying is that instead of focusing on the circumstances and the situation, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. That he is the only way. He's the only one that can fully and finally satisfy. He's the only one that can give us a peace that makes absolutely no sense. He's the only one that can give us a joy 
that makes absolutely no sense. We have to keep our eyes fixed on the Savior. How can we do that? We, we, just, we just see here that Stephen, he, he's, he's not quoting Scripture, but he's talking about Scripture. He's talking about all the, the history of, of people who are moving away from God. And at impact, we, we just finished Second Peter. And Peter, in his second letter, what he does is he talks about the authority of, of Scripture. He talks about how, how Scripture is not just true, but it's trustworthy. And how it is the final authority for us. But then he, he makes a shift he talks about how we're following Jesus and how God has given us everything we need for life and godliness and how scripture is so important and so valuable. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he says, but, I know, I know I said all that in chapter 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. This is what Peter's doing. Peter's saying there's some people that will stand firm on the truth of the word of God, but there's other people who won't. And a heresy is really just twisting the truth of God's word. And later in chapter two, what Peter's gonna tell us is that we are prone to do this, is that as human beings, we are prone to twist the truth of scripture. We are prone to, to really want our comfort to be chief over the word of God and that we want to bend the word of God to, to meet how we want to be and not bend ourselves to meet the word of God. And Peter says, hey, watch out, be careful because you can easily do this yourself. So how can we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus is to fix our eyes and our focus on the word of God. I don't know if this is valuable to you. I don't know if the word of God is, is, is special to you. I know that your pastor loves the word of God. And I know that your pastor wants you to love the word of God. And if we're gonna stand firm and not go away from the truth of scripture, there's two things I want you to know. One, we have to know the truth of scripture. And two, we have to, to stay grounded in that truth of Scripture. And we see this in the life of Stephen. We see that he stays grounded in the truth of the Word of God. And I'm not telling you have to be a theologian, that you have to go to the seminary. I'm not telling you any of that stuff. I'm telling you that if you can, if you can keep the presence of God as your primary focus, let the provision and the protection and the principles and all that of God be secondary. His presence will provide that stuff to you, but that should be your focus. And when you have that experience with God, then his word should be a valuable treasure in your life. And the more you read, the more you learn, the more you apply, the more you walk in the authority of the truth of the word of God. Verse 57, Acts 7, 57 through 60. It says, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is, this is what's happening. He just got stoned to death. That's what happened. And he, he's repeating Jesus, saying, receive my spirit. He says, hey, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He has compassion even for his enemies. Why? Because he's experienced the manifest presence of God and because he's fixed his eyes on the Savior, not on his situation. Now, I have a challenge for you. And my challenge is this. Are you, it's a question, are you at a place in your life, spiritually, where you could stand firm against people who don't like you, against people who, who can hurt you, against people who, who want to destroy you, against a world who hates you? What I can't do is stand up here and tell you a lie and tell you that everything's going to be great when you give your life to Jesus because that's not what Jesus teaches. That's not what the Bible says. But the Bible does say that he will be with you and that he has already overcome the world. That's the truth that we get to claim. But what if you're put in this situation? And they don't really do stonings in America that I know of anymore. But man, there's other types of persecution. There's other types of persecution, and we're going to close with this. But maybe persecution for you looks like the loss of, of a lifelong friend because you want to you wanna stand firm on the truth of the Word of God. And you have some friends that you've been friends with for, forever and ever and ever, and, and they don't like that lifestyle. They don't, they don't want anything to do with the gospel. But by you standing firm on the truth of the gospel, they no longer want to be friends with you. Maybe that's the persecution for you. Or maybe at work, there's some people that, that you know you need to share the gospel with. But you don't want them to think you're, you're weird or you're, or you're dumb or, or whatever the thing is, that you're a Jesus freak, whatever. So you just shy away maybe and you don't share the gospel. And Stephen would say, hey, this is life-changing. Stephen would say, hey, when you experience the presence of God, it changes everything about everything. That it is the, the one thing that drives everything. And that if you know there's people that need to hear the story, they need to hear the good news of the gospel, why would you not want to share the good news of the gospel? And you say, but look at my life. Look at everything going on. I just, I don't even understand why God would allow some of this stuff to happen. Maybe you've experienced loss in your life. Maybe you've experienced divorce. Maybe you've experienced uh, getting laid off or fired or financial trouble or sickness, whatever it may be. And Stephen would say, hey, keep your eyes fixed on the Savior. Don't, don't focus on your situation. I know that it looks bad, but, but keep your eyes on the Savior. Keep your eyes on the God who loves you. 
Man, he's a good father who loves his kids. And he knows exactly what we need and when we need it. And I, I can't stress this enough. That the gospel is, is worth fighting for. The truth of the gospel is worth fighting for. Are you fighting for the gospel? Are you willing to stand firm when everything else around you looks like it's falling apart? And guess what you can't do? You can't stand firm on your own. There's absolutely no way. They start pulling fingernails, man, I'm done. I'm a wimp. I'm just throwing that out there to you, okay? I may, that's just me. I don't take risks. I don't like pain. But man, the, the truth is this, that the gospel changed my life. The truth is this, that I'm a, a wretched, black-hearted sinner. And I deserve an eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. That's what I deserve. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came on a rescue mission for me and for you. Because there's a, there's a standard of holiness that we couldn't meet. And Jesus came and lived the life that we were supposed to live. And he died the death that we deserved to die. And he did that for somebody like me. And maybe, maybe you're looking at me like, well, it seems like you got it all together. Guess what I don't? You can ask my wife, don't have it all together. This is what I know though, that God loved me enough that even when I was still a sinner, he sent Jesus to die for me. And he did the same thing for you. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've ever said yes to Jesus. I don't know if you even realize that you're a sinner or not. I'm going to be honest, because guess what? I get to leave. Pastor Brandon's got to deal with you. You are a sinner. All of you. I don't care how good you try to be. You, you can't do it. You just can't do it. And maybe today is the day for you to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you know all the, all the stuff. Maybe, maybe you know you're a sinner. Maybe you, you know that Jesus came but you've never surrendered your life to him. And tonight is the night for you to surrender your life to Jesus. And then for others of you, you've already done that. You're there. You're a Jesus follower. You're a part of the family. You've been adopted into the family of God. But you haven't been fighting for the gospel. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's embarrassment, maybe, I don't know what it is for you, but there's a reason that you're not fighting for the gospel. There's a reason you're not courageously sharing your story and your testimony of what God has done in your life. I mean, I wanna challenge you to begin to fight for the gospel. It's life-changing. It is life-changing. Let's stand together.
we're going to sing a song of, of response. And this, this, is why, this is why we do this, because the gospel demands a response. For some of you, it's to say yes to Jesus. For others of you, it's to take whatever your next step is. But in this moment, I want you to call out, to cry out, and you make the decision that the Spirit's leading you to make in this place. And my prayer for you, I wanna encourage you. My prayer for you is that you would be encouraged as you leave this place, encouraged to stand firm on the truth of the Word of God, knowing that it is the final authority and that God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Let's pray. God, as we respond this evening, I pray that your spirit moves in this place. I pray for your manifest presence. God, that people experience you in a way they've never experienced you before. God, and I pray that if someone doesn't know you, that they say yes to you. For the very first time, they surrender their life to you. I pray for the Christ follower, that they take that next step of obedience, that they begin to fight for the gospel if they're not, and if they're already fighting for the gospel, God, I pray that you give them more and more opportunities to share and to be faithful with that fight. But we can't do it on our own. We need you. We know that, God, and we're claiming victory because of who you are, not because of who we are. God, we give you the honor and the glory in this place. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.